0: We continue our reading of the book of Acts, this time from Acts 9. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, who heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him with the request, "'Please come to us without delay.' So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside And then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our children may be dismissed to continue their time of worship. So recently, I um, embarked on the difficult but necessary journey of cleaning out our basement, Um, realizing we had tons of things we did not need, and putting them all in the car to take them to Goodwill. And they took everything except for one thing, and that was my old TV. It seems that to dispose of electronic items, you have to take it somewhere specific to give it away. And so naturally, the TV is just rolling around in the back of my car right now until I find time to do so. And it leads to a lot of curiosity from the boys every time it goes thud as I make a big turn. And one time when they were especially curious what was in the back of the car, I just sort of told them what was true. I said, well, the TV's old and we're just throwing it out we get rid of things that get outdated and we replace them with new things. And the moment it came out of my mouth, (laughs) I realized how sad it sounded and how I wanted to put some clarification to it, especially since James recently announced he wanted all new toys. And yet, how true of a statement in our culture. The trajectory is always forward, and we always get rid of things that are now past. People are working on flying cars and cures for cancer, and it seems clear that our greatest advancement of human achievement is ahead of us still. All the while, we, the church, we continue to read ancient texts— That suggests that actually our greatest advancements of human achievement as disciples seem to be behind us. I mean, is there anything less reachable of a standard than the book of Acts? With the disciples and their miraculous acts of faith. This gospel sequel that is the book of Acts highlights the best of the best super disciples who live outside of the limits that we modern disciples seem to be bound by, like institutional identity and retirement accounts and insurance costs. They have boldness of action and clarity of purpose and endurance against obstacles, and here in this passage, the seemingly magical ability to craft the happily ever after for people who really deserve it. Here in our story, we read of a woman who's devoted to the service of the vulnerable but has died and lies dead in the community. while well, the community just falls to pieces. She must have been a pillar in the widow community. She must have drawn people together, brought out their best, and provided relief and encouragement. For the widows seem completely unable to even imagine life without her. The leaders in the community feel incapable of replacing her, and so they send for Peter. And all of that feels familiar, for we have many saints who live with us and do wonderful things, and they pass, and we don't know what to do. All feels familiar until Peter walks in. Well, Peter sends the grieving women outside. He goes to the dead woman, and he performs very simple actions. Kneel, pray, turn, speak. Ta-da! The dead woman opens her eyes. She sits up, and Peter shows her to be alive. Well, thanks be to God for Peter. But What is it that Peter has that we do not have? What powers are we missing that we can't go to the dead and bring the breath back into their chest? All of it led me to wonder, well, what sermon could I give that could either enable us to replicate the disciples' power or just assuage our feelings of inadequacy? But what became most profound to me in trying to write that sermon for you was simply the impulse to write that sermon for you. (laughs) Why is it that our first instinct is to make all Scripture prescriptive, looking for hidden instructions in there, seeking to turn biblical miracle into a reproducible church ministry that you could participate in? If it's not prescriptive, If it's not easily helpful in the living of our lives, well, how do we still honor it as the word of God if we feel like it just doesn't apply to us? And what do we do as the church, with the pressure to remain relevant, when it's difficult with stories like these? So, drawing upon historian Jeremy Rifkin's economic analysis and Andrew Root's church analysis— How might the place we stand in history affect the way that we understand Scripture like this and the community that's formed around Scripture? So, hold on as we tread into a broad scope of human history in a sermon for a moment. Humanity's story begins with hunting and gathering. As the primary energy regime, as tribes roamed the earth to look for what they needed to survive— And tribes depended on oral communication to provide connection and legacy through primal cosmic narratives. And ministry was telling the story so that the family lineage was united in purpose. And once agriculture becomes a new energy regime, will tribes settle and produce what they can? And now they depend on trade made possible through the creation of common language— And with trade comes the sharing of stories, which leads to the creation of sacred text. Communities are now formed by religious ties and not just family ties. So ministry becomes managing the sacred text and training priests who help form and pass on civilization. Well, jumping much forward as we have to do, we enter the first industrial revolution with the invention of steam and coal. Boundaries and borders become very important, and print allows countries to develop ideology (coughs) that provides identity. Community becomes formed by ideological ties, blurring the lines between religion and national identity, and evangelism becomes the creation of Christian nations. Ministers become moral and upstanding citizens who help either support or reshape the guidelines of moral citizenship. And then jumping further to the second industrial revolution brought with it electricity and oil. A technology would not just dramatically change the commerce and the country, but actually now just the family home where you live. Radio and TV provides not just content to you, but actually choice of content. And the car allows you to travel, but also to choose where you want to travel. Technology gives birth to the individual, and the community is no longer primarily formed by one's family or one's religion or one's country. It's just formed by your choice to participate in it. Well, churches, we have to attract people to drive across town to come to us rather than walk down the street. So we ministers become entertainers who are able to sell you self-improvement within our scripture. And like the television, the church becomes filled with programs that are meant to be customizable to fit the individual and help people be who they are meant to be. Evangelism is not just telling people about the cosmic narrative or about the sacred text or shaping moral citizenship. Evangelism is getting people to choose your church. Although one can argue we have moved past that stage, of human history, the church remains greatly impacted by it. Echoes of this perspective ring throughout my initial frustration with the Acts passage. For I am a creator, an implementer, and seller of programs in the church. And I couldn't help but resent Peter's magical but not practical qualities— How could I sell this passage as relevant and repeatable so that you choose this sermon as meaningful and you don't look one up online later? One thing that stands out in this short but true narrative arc of human history is humanity's use of scripture for humanity's purposes and humanity's gain. Like this malleable resource... Scripture has served generations for their spiritual needs within their own cultural context. But isn't it worth wondering, when does our use of scripture become an obstacle just to reading it and living with it and being formed by it? I think it's safe to say that technology is both the energy regime and communication revolution of our modern world and all will become clear when it's in the future and we can look back. And therefore, it's our natural inclination to understand everything as potential technology. Some tool to use in order to advance one's personal gain, some object to exploit as one's own, We even see relationships as technology. We build a relational database for future profit. We see opportunities and just life as technology. We encourage young people to play the piano and play soccer and serve the community for their advancement. And it's no wonder the church is not immune to these things. Scripture becomes technology used to pre-program your life of faith for you. And prayer becomes the technology to shape the future based off of what you want and what you need. And church membership becomes technology that affords status and belonging for when you feel lost. Implicitly or explicitly, consciously or subconsciously, we are always asking ourselves how does this drive me forward? How does this fit within my purpose and my calling and my life? Now, the inward impulse towards personal fulfillment and self-sufficiency is rooted in our basic impulse for survival. But is the perfection of the individual truly salvation? Does advancement make us immune to grief and sorrow, heartbreak and disappointment? Even ironically, Thomas Merton says, before even be able to see what it really means science and technology are indeed admirable in many respects, and if they fulfill their promises, they can do much for man, but they can never solve his deepest problems. We know that relationships with an agenda do not cure isolation. And we know that serving the community just to build a resume does not impact one's personhood. And we know that faith just to mask fear does not actually save the heart. For we human beings, we are not technology. We will not expire simply because we are no longer useful or culturally relevant. The church must be the countercultural community that values the human life for its creation in the divine image, not for its benefit and usefulness to the body of Christ. We need not further feed the hunger for advancement, but instead draw forth the inherent desire to love and be loved with our whole hearts and not just to advance us forward. We must foster authentic communities who seek to be with people rather than to acquire people. For the God that's an object pulled out just when we need something, that God will never satisfy. Because that's not the God that we actually crave. When this is the God that we expect, we are like the people in the temple with Jesus who repeatedly cry for proof when the living God is standing right in front of them. Our wholeness only comes from the wild and living God, who can still make possibility out of impossibility, raising the dead before us in ways we can't plan or program. We live in a temporary existence, but we crave a God who offers permanence, vowing to never let us be snatched from the divine hands. So the book of Acts may drive us crazy, but that should be the red flag within that alerts you of how much we actually need it. Technology values self-sufficiency, but God embraces inadequacy. And technology values independence, and God nurtures dependence. Technology values immortality, but God redeems our mortality so when heartbreak comes like it did for the widows and like it will for you and for me there is no pause to ask you your perspective on it or the tools you've gained to help you there is no quick fix and there'll never be an app for that there is just heartbreak and the experience of it it grips you and demands you feel the depth of it There is our culture that brings you technology meant to advance you beyond feelings. And then there's a beloved community who brings you simply themselves to sit with you while you feel all of it. That community knows that there's talk about grief, and then there's grief. Technology, advancement, and experts can be wonderful things. But the church at its core must connect with the church at its beginning. Though science progresses in its knowledge, the church lives in a different level of reality. We must assert that human technological advancement does not apply to the church's progression. Christ's presence has not improved, for it was whole to begin with. The church stands within culture. We are shaped by times and trends, but its roots are planted by an eternal God whose timeless message will continue to remain relevant because human beings will never outgrow the need to connect with the great beyond made manifest in human community of shared commitments. We are people who follow the Good Shepherd, not those who try to become the better shepherd. We, your ministers, we cannot in full conscience truly simplify faith for you into bite-sized pieces that you receive by coming weekly. For the church is not about the perfecting of life. The church is about the living of life together. We do not just talk about God or debate or try to determine how it is. We are about acting and we are about doing because God created us to be people of agency, people who can act And Christ calls us to be people of meaning, people who act with a purpose that's not actually our own. As the author of Revelation writes, there will come a day when all those who have lived through the great ordeal, all those who have loved people even when it was foolish, and who have held out hope for resurrection even when the dead lie right before us, we will worship the God whose power and might, glory and honor, go beyond any advancement we could create by human hands. We will be those who trust that our God's redemption of our beat-up lives surpasses any shiny new fix that the world can offer. The church acts up by remembering who we are. Human lives that cannot advance beyond the great ordeal, but rather will be saved by it. Community who loves each other enough to walk into the mystery and refuse to let life be wasted. Practicing humility, acting boldly because we trust in a timeless God. May we be the church who still reads ancient texts, and we be people who honor the God who, by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish far more than all we could ask or imagine. To that, God, may we give our worship and our praise and our very lives. Amen. It's our tradition that we sing a final hymn as a way to conclude our service. It's a time for us to think personally of how God is calling us within our lives It might be something private that you consider, something that you share with your community, or something that you come forward to share with this congregation to join your life with our church or to be baptized. Whatever it is, we stand and we sing our praise.